You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's new? How are things? I am sitting here uh, trying to bang out today's intro read as quickly as I can because I am going to be late to go and get my first shot for the vaccine. That's right. I am going to be one of the guinea pigs. Uh, turns out that uh, my busted lungs, my asthma, allows me to get in there. And so uh, I am doing that today. We shall see how it happens, How what happens with it. Maybe I'll grow a third arm. We'll see what happens by the end of the week. But I'm excited. Uh, moving positive steps, moving in the right direction. Uh, I feel like uh, the end of our prison sentence is on the horizon. I'm very excited about the whole thing. And uh, I just want to say that I hope all of you guys are still safe, still playing the game safe. Even if you do get your vaccination, you have to be cautious of the folks that don't. You can still be a carrier, so um, make sure that you're playing it safe out there. Uh, Because I want us all to be there at the end. I want us all to be at that big barbecue, you know. And I, I am a firm believer that once we hit that point where everybody's vaccinated, we need to set a holiday. There should be a date, a worldwide holiday, a specific day that says, hey, no work today. We're, the government's going to send you a check for barbecue supplies and we're going to sit around and have a fucking party every year. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Speaking of parties, speaking of exciting celebrations, today's episode is a great one. This one really Gets in deep and snuggles up with the 13-year-old comic book nerd that is deep inside me. Uh, Today is about comics. Today is about comics and cinema. It's actually a really good blend of the movie stuff and the comic book stuff I love. We talk about the power of visuals. We talk about the power of telling a story with images. As you guys know, I hammer that home pretty hard on the show. It's why I get into movies. It's why I love to do it. Make every frame important. Make every camera movement mean something. You know, the the positioning, the posture of your characters. All those things are important. When When you're designing a movie, if you're drawing a comic book, it's all there. The thing I love about comics is that they're freeze frames at that point, right? Right when that hero is drawing his fist back and gathering that energy in his hand. And then how the environment is swirling around his hand what is happening, how he's planted his feet, all that stuff is frozen in time. And as you flip through these books over and over again, you really sort of get to examine that capture of energy. I love that about comic book illustrations. Um, and so today's episode is, is, is current and cool, right? I don't know if you guys heard the news. I don't know if you saw it in the trades in the movie business or if you saw it in the trades for the comic book business. But uh, there's a brand new book out. That is written by Keanu Reeves, um, and it is called Berserker. That's B-R-Z-R-K-R. And uh, it's the big news on this is that uh, it's an ultra-violent action book that has, first issue hadn't even come out yet, and it has already been optioned as a feature for Netflix and an animated series for Netflix. So... I, of course, am excited because I have always been a big Keanu fan and I love, 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 love John Wick. Love the fact that John Wick is uh, out there and has been made. 
I should do a whole episode. I got to get someone from John Wick on the show, other than the cinematographer, because we've had the cinematographer from John Wick 2 on the show. But I was just reading this article about how difficult it was after they made that movie to sell it for domestic rights, which is mind fucking blowing. So I, I love that film. I love that these movies and these type of films are still being made today, which I, which I dig. Strong, masculine characters, action characters. Um, I love that that stuff hasn't been lost yet. So very excited about him doing a new movie. And then I was like, well, let's get the book. And the first concern really is that the book is just sort of the selling point for the series, right? Because you've heard about this stuff before. People write a book and they go, I'm writing a book to make a movie and that's why I'm doing it. And oftentimes the comics suffer for that reason because all it is is just a vessel to get a larger movie made. So it's like, okay, so this will be, you know, like any of those adaptions for movie stuff that we read in comics, which are like, meh, they're okay. The art usually kind of sucks. And so um, I was in the comic book store the other day. I sort of stepped in to grab a couple new graphic novels and I saw it on the shelf and I grabbed it immediately and I flipped through it and I was like, holy shit, the art's really great in this book. And the action's really great in this book. I didn't even read it. I was just flipping through it. And I was like, man, the character's really fucking cool looking. The opening scene, all right, I'm buying it. Instantly picked it up. Got home, read it immediately. And then uh, I had seen his posts online and I reached out instantly to the artist of the book. So I reached out to uh, Ron Garney immediately. And I was like, hey, dude, I'd love to have you on the show. I'd love to talk about this book. Um, and for those of you who don't know Ron, he has been doing amazing work for Marvel, for DC. He's worked for Marvel. He tells us on the show, he's worked for Marvel for over 30 years. So he's drawn Amazing Spider-Man. He's drawn The Hulk. He's drawn Uncanny X-Force. Part of that, that Uncanny X-Force series, uh, and you guys know what I'm talking about if you're comic book nerds. Uh, that recent Uncanny X-Force series before uh, the whole X-Change and the House of X and all that stuff was awesome. Incredibly violent, incredibly action-packed, uh, very gory. He was involved with that. He's drawn Wolverine titles that I love, uh, Captain America titles, and he just recently did uh, a Juggernaut title, which looks really fucking cool. Like I've never really gave a shit about Juggernaut. And he somehow managed to take this big hulking mass, it was kind of a fucking joke, and give him uh, humanity, give him personality. Uh, so very excited to have Ron on the show because I want to talk to him about his ability. What he does really well, in my opinion, is he draws strong uh, masculine uh, heroes, but he gives them the weight of everything, of all the decisions that they've had to make to get to that point. And you just see it subtly on his positioning and his posturing. And we talk a lot about how he designs these elements. We talk about designing and blocking action sequences for comic book, which is very similar to how you start to design an action sequence for movies. Uh, and we talk about Ron's history and the other things he does in his life, which really sort of give him the ammunition to do these really great action sequences. Um, and there's a huge difference between his work and other people's work. 
Um, I know that if you go and hunt online, there are two different artists that actually did the first issue of Berserker. You can actually see the side-by-side -side comparisons between Ron's and his, which is an interesting study, not in one way saying an artist is better than another artist, but actually seeing how two different artists tackle the same script material and how they block out sequences and action. And I, I really dig, they both have two different styles, um, but I can see after talking to Ron, I can understand uh, how he positions his guys. It's really fascinating. Like, it's as simple as like where you put your fist, where the elbow goes when you're, when you're getting ready to strike. Or like how the knees bend and how the shoes slant when you're jumping out of something. And if I'm getting really nerdy, if I sound like I'm being really nerdy about this stuff, it's because I am. And these things to me are so fucking important when we're telling stories visually. All these things. These are what make great movies to me. These are what make great comic books. Uh, so if you guys are looking to polish up your skills as a visual storyteller, hell yeah, strap yourselves in. It's a great episode. If you guys are excited about the Berserker um, comic series and you want to know, does Keanu Reeves really have anything to do with this series? Uh, Ron shares a bunch of really great Keanu stories in here. So strap yourselves in for that. Um, this is a fucking great episode. I want to thank everybody who continues to follow me on Instagram, at Mike Petchy on Instagram, or follow the podcast Instagram. That's an, a Love With The Process pod, and Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. I have been doing contests lately. I have been giving away t-shirts lately. I still have a few extra large and double extra large t-shirts. And I know we all have put on some of that quarantine weight. So definitely follow me on Instagram because I will be giving away some more podcast t-shirts that we have to you guys because I'd rather see them on the fans than in this box that's right next to me here at the computer. Um, and let's see what else is going. We got a bunch of really great episodes in the queue because I know you guys know that I record a lot of these ahead of time. I'm going to try to take today's episode and put it in the front because I want it to be relevant with the release of the book. Um, but my God, we got some fucking bangers in the queue. So definitely make sure that you are subscribing. What do they want me to say now on Apple? Following, because Apple's now gonna charge for subscription services. Uh, following the podcast, whether you're following it on Apple Podcast, if you're following it on Spotify, if you're following it on SoundCloud, wherever you listen to podcasts, you're gonna find our show there. Uh, and if you don't, write me a note. Send me a note on my Instagram account and say like, Mike, why the fuck is the podcast not on this streaming service? And we'll look into it, okay? Um, make sure you subscribe. And then I know every show asks this. It's the easiest thing that you guys can do. Leave us a review. And the only reason why we continually ask you to do this, almost annoyingly ask you to do this, is because of the fucking algorithms. So the reviews put us higher on the line, which allows more people to accidentally find us. And everybody that accidentally finds us, like you, loves the show so you want to help us out do that leave us a review um and that's it i don't want to fucking rant and rave before we get into this episode i'm excited get yourselves ready uh if you haven't done so yet uh definitely grab an issue of berserker and read that issue and then listen to this episode we try not to give away too many spoilers on the show so if you haven't read the uh, issue yet it's fine not a big deal Strap yourselves in, 
Turn up those noise-canceling headphones. Make sure that no one else is bothering you through this one. Uh, maybe pour yourself a nice beer. We're getting into warmer weather out here in Los Angeles, so it's time for a nice pilsner, a nice sharp pilsner. Pour yourself a nice beer, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Ron, thanks for being on the show, dude. Mike, what's going on, my man? <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for inviting I am excited, man. I'm very excited to have you on um, for a couple reasons. One, I am, uh, you know, besides being a filmmaker, I've always been a comic book nerd and dork about stuff, and I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. And then... Huh. Uh, two, uh, I just finished reading the new Berserker book, and I think it's fucking great. So, oh, great, great to hear that. I always find it funny when you know guys say that or people say that they're they're I'm a big nerd. You know, they say it negative. That's not a negative thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, man. It's, for for me, it was it was the only way for me to get into reading as a kid is that uh, my mom gave me the comic books, you know? You needed the pictures along with the words. Yeah, yeah. And then it's no it's no strange thing that I became a director and a cinematographer after all that, yeah. so. Well, that's what got me into it. I mean, well, I mean, I always liked the idea of directing and, and you know, I liked comp pho <clears throat> photographic composition, mm -hmm. like Andrew Adams, and, I, you know, I like comp painter, compositions like uh you know the wyatts and line decker and those you know and i always liked film so when i rediscovered comics after how many years i mean i didn't read them i i you know i didn't read them all through most of my life and then i kind of rediscovered them when i was an adult and um, looking at it after being in college and think toying with the idea of getting into directing movies or getting into that side of things um i looked and i said wow this is a real short form of it except it's you got everything in there you've got the, you know the compositions the storytelling the acting the you know mm -hmm. it's all right comic book so i don't think people realize that you know they just oh it's a comic book but when you really break it down you're basically reading a, a movie you know a hundred percent. Dude, I have I have nothing but envy <laughs> at the fact that you can draw these things like that because actually doing a movie takes like five years. It's so work, believe me, drawing a movie. Well, like doing this Berserker thing. It's, uh, you know, I'm literally drawing a movie. Yeah. And it, it's a lot of work. I mean, I'll, I'll say that, but you have to, you know, it takes commitment and love, you know, so. Love yeah. Yeah. Really well, so so you uh, weren't in comics originally. So did you go to art school? Like, how did you get into illustration? Uh, well, I was always, uh, 
I was always able to draw since I was little and I was an artist, um, you know, in high school and everything else. But the comic thing happened. I read those sporadically when I was a kid. I wasn't like an avid reader or anything. And, you know, I was, um, I was more into, by the time I got to high school, as far as art was concerned, I was really, I was really into fantasy painting like Frazetta mm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and Boris and, you know, and Michael Whalen and artists like that. I had thought about doing that because paperback, those paperback covers were big back then. I loved the art on those for the science fiction and everything else. Yeah. But I also was into sports and things like that. So comics were just sort of a thing in the past. And, um, and then by the time I got out of college, I was bartending and I was nightclub managing and, you know, doing all kinds of other things. And, uh, when I was bartending at a restaurant and the bartender had a comic behind the bar and I was like, Whoa. And that's where it hit me you know, literally like in a couple of seconds. And I said, where'd you get this? And I, you know, he told me at the 24 hour store down the street. So I went down there and bought a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, that was it. And I got kind of hooked on right away after all those years, not even, you know, so everybody I've worked with has all this knowledge of the lore of it all. And I don't <laughs> I have to really go back and research it because, you know, I remember when I worked with Mark Wade and he was like a veritable encyclopedia of, of, uh, you know, of everything that's ever happened in every comic book under the sun. So (laughs) uh, opposite, I don't know anything that happened. You know, I just love the characters. And once I started getting into it, um, you know, that's when my interest really peaked. So, well, the thing I like, the the thing I love about your work is that it feels like with each one of these iconic characters, whether you're drawing the Hulk or whether you're drawing Juggernaut, or if you're drawing Bishop from the X-Men in the way that you do their posture, the way you do their posing, it feels like they're carrying the weight of their entire experience to that moment. And you can just feel it on these characters, man. You really do. That's because I wear the weight of my entire messed up life on my back. <laughs> 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 onto the characters. <laughs> and do the best I can. You know? Well, I appreciate that. You know, um, there's some people, it's funny to hear you say that because a lot of people pick up on that stuff and some people don't, but you know, it's usually, you know, I can tell your love for the medium because you analyze those things. A lot of people just read through them and they go, ah, you know, it's too sketchy for me. Or, ah, you know, it's not my, my cup of tea. Or, ah, he's not this guy. Or, he's not that guy. But you're taking the time to look at the work and, you know, and find what you really dig about it. So I appreciate that. Yeah, man. I mean, they're a huge source of inspiration for me uh, when I'm blocking out scenes or if I'm posing scenes or doing photography. I'm always trying to tell a story through an image because I feel like whether we're talking about comics, we're talking about films, they're visual mediums. And so there's so yeah. much that you can stock and so much that you can load up in the uh, invisible texture of these characters, which I which right. I fucking love. I mean, it's my favorite part of, of comics is that it's literally just frozen in time. So I could spend so much time just sort of analyzing every piece of that frame and going like, why do I like this guy so much? And why, why do I feel so intensely in this moment and I, I really feel that's the power of illustration. You know what I mean? Was there anything that jumps out in your head of what you were just saying about my work in particular? Like, was it Daredevil or Hulk? Which one was it? I recently saw some illustrations of the Hulk in the Juggernaut stuff. And it, it, there, was okay. a, there was a shot where the Hulk's sort of walking a Juggernaut. And he's like, are you really going to fucking do this, basically? <laughs> and, and you can see in the Hulk's posture, it's like, this guy, 
this guy was like a planet crusher for years. <laughs> so what are you doing? You know? Uh, and, and so just looking at that, I can't help but smile. And it's probably a 13 year old kid smiling at me when I'm looking at it going, he's about to get his ass kicked. And that's what I really, really liked about I, it. A lot of people, uh, were asking me as far as like the size of the Hulk versus the juggernaut and everything. And I, I always feel like the Hulk should just be a little bigger, you know what I mean? And he's the Hulk, you know, and you want to, you want to ascribe that one thing about each character that, you know, is, you know, the Hulk is the most powerful, the strongest there is, all that. So you always want to convey that message, even though he's going up against an uber powerful character like the Juggernaut, the Hulk is still the Hulk, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and I made the juggernaut massive. I just made the Hulk a little bit more massive. <laughs> so, that's the kid in me, you know? I mean, that's the kid in me. I like the juggernaut, but I, you know, I love the Hulk too. So that's the way I see it. You know, every character I try to give a, its own personality and let it breathe on its own rather than, you know, um, then, then, you know, sort of force my, my uh, personal style on it. Every character I pick, I try to, you know, find out what's unique about it and come up with a, a look for the book, you know, depending on the character. When I did Daredevil, um, I chose a very limited palette with the colorist. And uh, I was doing a lot of uh, erasing some of the lines and, make, you know, brightening up the light areas. and Because I wanted to look the book, the look of the book to, to seem like we were looking through Matt Murdock's eyes almost, you know, as Daredevil. Cool. Because like, he had radar sense, you know, and everything. And you can see these weird images through his radar sense. And so I just wanted the whole entire book to feel reflective of what Matt Murdock's world might feel like, you know. I love that, dude. I absolutely love that. Yeah, it was fun. That was probably my favorite project I'd ever done at Marvel, artistically speaking, you know. <laughs> it's awesome. And also, let me just take a second and apologize, because, of course, as soon as I all my guests, all my listeners know this, as soon as I start rolling on a podcast early in the week, my landscaper just shows up and he's out front with a leaf blower. So <laughs> you're going to hear me turning my, yeah. my mic up and down. But that being said, there's something interesting about designing characters. And then there's something fascinating about working with characters that have been around for for years and years and years. And so when doing the new juggernaut, he's got that, he's got that new outfit, that new costume. Was that your input for that? Or does that come from the writers? Like, how did you it guys was, design the costume? Was, you know, Fabian uh, told me what he wanted to do with it. Um, you know, he gave me some ideas and then I just start sketching, come up with my own ideas, what looks good and streamlined and what makes sense. And, you know, um, I think one of the biggest things, most simplest rules to follow is form follows function. And, you know, um, so I just try to come up with a streamlined sort of, you know, I always like the alien feel of the Inhumans costume sort of. And I, I kind of wanted to come up with something unique to Juggernaut rather than him just looking like a big guy with a big giant bowl on his head. You know? So <laughs> right. I wanted to see the power going through him and, you know, and, the Sidorak bands and a lot of that was Fabian too. He wanted, you know, uh, us to see, you know, the power going, th going through the juggernaut, you know? Um, so, uh, that's really where that came from, you know? So it was a combination. When you say this is an interesting thing, cause I'm actually dealing with this right now as I'm designing a creature for this movie that we're about to do. And you talk about form 
being uh, important. And I'm kind of the same way. I'm always like, I, it has to be functional. It has to function in which and how I'm going to do these sequences. It has to function like the, the, the way the outfit looks and sort of the silhouette of a person really needs to function for the story. Do you start that way? or you, do, How do you start creating a character? Is it just like a rough sketch? Is it a silhouette? Or are you working off of a detail? Um, uh, let's see. I don't generally start with a silhouette. I mean, I obviously when I sketch, it's, you know, you, you rough in cylinders and, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm so used to it by now. I mean, I've done it my whole life. <laughs> right. So, you know, when I, I'm trying to design a character, I just play with shapes, you know, and, and I try to think of what the character is, you know, um, I'm not sure what characters you're trying to design, but, you know, depending on if it's an alien or, you know, you want to find those little spots in the drawing that makes it, you know, that basically tells the story without you having to actually write it, you know, obviously. Um, so that's, that's really how I approach it. I mean, I, you know, and there's just so many shapes, you know, there's millions of shapes in nature. Right. You know, so you have to trust your ability to tap into that, you know, and uh, not not be so it, because it can get very it can be very easy to get generic with it if you, if you don't really take risks. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. You know, when I design, I try to think about taking risks. And again, like the form should look like the look like there's a function to it. And I think like when you look at Kirby's old costumes and the characters he created, you know, it's interesting. He had that Aztec sort of art look to his, mm -hmm. his mm -hmm. work. You mm -hmm. know? Um, it was interesting to see over the years, like Thor, for instance, how um, guys started making Kirby's costume look functional, even though, it, but it was remarkably easy to make it look functional. Like the circles on his, on his garb, you know, those big plates yeah. going down, they turn those into metal and he's, you know, he's the God of thunder and electricity. And so that made sense, you know, all the metal on him, um, as a conduit in a way, and, you know, and it's really speaks to the genius of Kirby, how instinctive he was in creating these shapes and forms that just seemed like they were functional, even though you, you know, when you look at it, it's alien enough that you couldn't tell why it's functional, but it looks functional. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, totally. And he's, he's the best. Well, it's also fascinating uh, reading the new Berserker book and the way that you guys designed essentially Keanu Reeves look in this, in this book. <laughs> yeah, you know? uh, but the, the, the thing that I really found fascinating is for this is a spoiler for those that haven't read the book yet. Pick it up. I just picked it up the other day. Um, wow. But uh, I love the bit in the beginning of the book when he's in the helicopter and he's sort of wrapping his hands and you're just like, you're, I'm, I'm reading this at first to going, all right, I've always loved wrapped hands on a character, but is this sort of, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but is this like a lay field kind of thing where he's just wrapping his hands because it looks cool, you know? And then as you see what he does to his victims in this sort yeah. of uh, gory carnage, you go, oh, it makes sense why he was wrapping his hands. Yeah, he's wrapping his hands because he's pretty much punching through people's heads. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and the wrapping of the hands, a lot of the stuff is working with Keanu, believe it or not. I mean, he's, you know, he's got a lot of great ideas. He's a very gifted guy, and you can see the experience of him as a storyteller uh, over all these years working in movies and everything. And yeah. Uh, it's it's It was fascinating to see how easily he 
came into the comics medium because of his experience that way. So, um, you know, it's, again, it's, it's always a team effort on some of those things. Um, you know, obviously I'm doing the heavy lifting, drawing the comic, but you know, the input is there. And, um, so it makes it easier and drawing him in particular, he's just got an easy face to draw for me. I don't know if anybody else has feels that way, but sure. I mean, he's, I mean, Keanu's got the most iconic looking face period. For yeah, and it's funny. Uh, he's, you know, again, like I've seen a lot of these, these covers, these alternate covers, but I don't, I don't go from photographs with him. I, I mean, I, I scanned his face in the beginning, just with my eyes, just looking at it, looking at the symmetry behind it, trying to find the little things that make it interesting. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to follow photographs because I, I felt like the character, even though it's, you know, supposed to be sort of Keanu. I want it to have an identity too, apart from the actor. Yeah. Yeah. I want to feel like Berserker and it's this guy who's, so there's a resemblance, a huge resemblance to Keanu, but there's, there's just something animated about not following the photograph that gives it a life of its own. Because when you look at, you know, pictures and and you draw from photographs, it takes away from that in a comic book anyway. Yeah. Unless you're doing a portrait or something like that, then it's, you know, that's fine. But for this, I wanted the character to sort of act on its own with Keanu's sort of look without having to copy anything, you know. So I, you totally got it too, which, which I, which I really dug about it. And there was this, you know, because I had heard the hype about this book before it came out, and then working in the industry, I'd heard that they had. Congratulations, by the way, that they had just sold to Netflix and they're going to do an animated series and do a movie on it. Uh, it really fucking cool. Um, but I had heard the hype and I was just sort of like, okay, so there's an actor that's kind of writing a book and what's this thing going to be? And uh, I picked it up and I just loved, I loved how simplistic that first issue was. I love how it was just about a task. It was just following him as he does his first task. And then we discover through action uh, how powerful he truly is. And then we start to uh, have a little bit of fun. Like if you read comics, you're no, it's no strange thing to deal with immortal characters and characters that have healing factors and characters that have gone through this whole process. But it was fascinating to see the consequences of him you know, <laughs> driving a, a, an SUV into an airplane. <laughs> Yeah, and he's, he doesn't care about getting hurt. I mean, you know, he just he goes into the explosion, and that, you know, I don't want to give it away to anybody who's listening who hasn't read it. But, yeah, he just um, – he's a walking, living um, – I don't know how you would explain it, you know. He's just a – He's a force of, He's a force of nature at that point. Yeah, you know? much, yeah. Which, well, I don't want to give too much of the story away, but it like the next issue starts to reveal more of that, what he is, and you know and how he got to be what he is. And cool. Um, you know, first issue was meant to be really to grab your attention and you know to really get the thrust of what this guy is. You know, he's just you know what is like a maniac who you know who's got these sort of powers and is indestructible and um, without, but he's indestructible without, but he shows. He shows it, you know. It's not like Superman. He does. He comes out unscathed. This guy doesn't. He's he gets scathed and blown apart. You know, <laughs> yeah. kind of more like Wolverine. You know, yeah, uh, in that regard. But um, yeah, so the next few issues, we start to delve into you know where he comes from and why, and uh, you know, there's a lot of 
a lot of uh, undertones coming in this story that I appreciate because it's not a gratuitously violent story. The violence is there for a reason. So it's not doesn't feel gratuitous as you as you read along into the right, story. Right. That's very important to me as well, you know, signing on to this project, reading it. I was I didn't I thought it was great, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't so sure I wanted to do something that had no heart to it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and this does, so super rad, man. I also read on your Instagram, so you're you're black belt in in uh, jujitsu, is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. That must be helpful when you're uh, blocking out fight sequences and stuff, like having an understanding yeah, of, of the. Yeah, body. I mean, you know, I you know, in Daredevil, I did a few things here and there, um, but yeah, it helps for sure. I mean, you know, you know how to. I've always been a physical guy. I played sports, and I, you know, I lifted weights, and I did jujitsu, and you know, I've always been physical. So, all of those things lend themselves to drawing figures, you know, in motion and just having a, you know, cause when you're, you're so used to feeling your own body when you're playing sports yeah. and doing jitsu, for instance, and knowing how weight works and your, the torque of your body and you have to pay attention to those things so you can apply leverage where it's needed. So you can, you know, sub, you know, throw chokeholds on or sweep people off their feet or, <laughs> Things like that, you know, so you have to understand body mechanics. And um, so in that regard, it's definitely helped me with the physicality of characters for sure. You know. Yeah. And then it must also be helpful to to block a fight sequence, too, because it's just like yeah. doing a movie at that point. You actually have to plan out how the fight sequence is going to happen and then what angles you're yeah. seeing the fight sequence from. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the, the thing I love, love, love about comic books more than I love about movies. And I feel like there are some directors that get it right. Um, is that there is this this freeze of energy. And so you're, at least when you're drawing and when I do my drawing work, it's always looking for that line of energy. Like you're trying to sketch out where that line of energy is going and where that where it's going to transfer to. And then you're building everything else around that, like perspective or everything else. Right. right. So um, it's interesting because I've talked with Keanu about that stuff because, um, you know, I talked to him about training, you know, training with him. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, when we do it for the movies, it's a predetermined outcome. So he's a little bit not quite as, you know, he, I mean, he's probably got insured for all I know. $40 and so I don't think he's as apt to want to just go balls to the wall training and trying to beat each other up. And that's what he meant when he said, it's, you know, the, the scenes are blocked out and all the moves and everything are sort of choreographed and everything. But it's the same thing when you're drawing it in a, in a comic book, you know. You have yeah. to choreograph it, and, you know, find out what move fits where. And, um, you know, there's a scene with Daredevil, like I said, where he fights Karnak and uh, he was doing, you know, uh, nerve pinches and things like that. And, you know, um, and Karnak is a master of finding weakness and um, he didn't know Daredevil was blind. So Daredevil had that as an advantage. Uh, but, yeah, it was fun to do that. Like he was, you know, I had Daredevil doing some, uh, judo tosses in that and you know and just how karnak you know knowing how you would recover and be you know be one step ahead yeah um because that's in jujitsu you have to be one step ahead and when somebody does is able to pull something off on you you have to be thinking ahead of what your response is going to be and so that's kind of you know how you approach it in choreographing the fight scene you know it has to flow from one movement to the next with these people who these fictional characters are supposed to be experts at all that. 
So yeah, and at the same token, you're trying to make sure that there's a sense of gravity. You're trying to make sure that these things are these people aren't just floating through a frame. Like there's <laughs> yeah, there's a sure. there's a bounce, there's a response to it, and then picking those moments. I, I fucking love that man. Right, you know the deal. It is that time uh, for us to show some thanks to the men and women that make the show possible. And I am talking about our sponsors. I'm talking about uh, folks like the dudes over at Puget Systems. If you are a filmmaker, if you're an artist, if you're an illustrator, if you're using Photoshop or or Illustrator, or, uh, like me, you have your machine hooked up with your Cintiq and you're drawing on that. Um, and you're getting like the pinwheels of death, right? You just don't have enough RAM. Your processor isn't fast enough to deal with all those layers or all those different sequences. Uh, it's time to buy a new computer. Good news is that we're not all trapped to have to buy. We're not all being forced to buy one specific manufacturer anymore. Uh, we have options and those options are limitless when you're building yourself a PC. Now, I know a lot of you are like, fuck, I don't know how to build a PC, Mike. Why would you even suggest that? It sounds dangerous. Don't PCs explode? <laughs> well, none of that is true. Uh, and here's the thing. I get it. I get that uh, going and researching uh, hardware and try to put it together and order it in the mail and try to get all the stuff that's right. And then do I have to wear a static guard when I'm fucking playing with a motherboard? Like These are all questions that most of us don't want to deal with. We are an unboxing culture now, right? We like to just be able to order something late at night online and have it show up two days later, take it out of a bright, shiny box and, and turn it on, right? I get it. I did the hard work for everybody. I hunted and searched for a PC company that not only would build a system that I needed to the specs that I needed, but a, but a company that had great customer support, that made a great product that didn't look like a Fast and Furious car, right? I wanted something that was fast and I wanted to see where my money went. I didn't want my money going to advertising. I didn't want my money going to a cult. I wanted to see where the cash went as far as processing speeds concerned, as far as storage space is concerned, as far as upgradability is concerned. And I found this company Puget Systems. Now this was years ago at this point, man, I've been with these guys now for six years or something. I have cut everything that I have done on a Puget System in the past six years. The proof of concept for who's there, cut on a Puget system. The proof of concept for 12 kilometers, cut on a Puget system. On who's there, we actually had the Puget guys on set with us. They actually brought a computer for our assistant editor to be cutting in the same space that we were shooting the movie. It's hysterical. You can actually see behind the scenes photos of Dave, who was my old um, assistant on the show. He was helping us out by assembling scenes and you could see him sitting in front of a smoky uh, haze lit computer screen on the set of who's there and putting everything together, which was a lot of fun. So I love these guys. I can't say enough great things about them. Uh, they have really sort of changed my work environment. Uh, and lately during COVID, my machine is so beefy that I was uh, lost in uh, cyberpunk on here. And God damn it, that game looks so great on my Puget. And I kept getting sucked into that game because I just wanted to walk around in the lighting that they had created. 
and how realistic it was and how realistic the environment lighting was and how it affected everything. Oh, it was so great. Um, but anyway, I digress. If you're looking for a new machine, if you're looking for a machine that uh, makes the most out of the money that you're going to spend on it, build yourself a Puget system. Now, if you go to PugetSystems.com, you can choose your machine based upon the software you use. Um, and if you're out of the country, because Puget doesn't ship internationally. So if you're outside the country, Puget does a consultation program where for a fee, and it's not that bad. I think it's like 500 bucks or something. For a fee, they will walk you through on how to build your own Puget system level machine. So they'll give you access to all their bench te benchmark tests, all of their uh, long, arduous testing that they do on all of their hardware. And they really put it through the paces with different software platforms. So when they tell you, like, this is a good configuration for After Effects, they know what they're talking about. Uh, and I've been there with them while they do this sort of stuff. So go check them out. I can't say enough good things about them. PewDieSystems.com. Also supporting the show, as always, are our good friends over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in the film industry of the past seven years has been lighting, more so than cameras. Cameras hit a plateau of like, all right, do I need 8K at this point? Do I need to be shooting anything more than 26,000 ISO? I don't think so. Uh, and lighting has made leaps and bounds, like developments, leaps and bounds with it, as far as LEDs concerned, which are like better lights that don't require as much power, uh, well-balanced lights, so you can dial in all sorts of different color temperature uh, in these LED units now. And the best on the market, the place to go, if you're, if you're gonna be pro, right? If you're not gonna go on like eBay or wherever the fuck and order some string of LEDs from China, that when you start shooting with them, every other shot, the color uh, shifts. Like, Why does it not match here? It's because the LED units in them are trash. If you want something that's professional, if you want something that is rugged, it'll hold up to like set use. And we know that set use is pretty intense on gear. Uh, go check out Quasar Science. Go to quasarscience.com. There they will show you all the new shit that they have coming out. They have a bunch of new units. I'm supposed to get a new unit in April actually from these guys, which I'm very excited about. I uh, can't say enough great things about them. If you're looking to put together a new kit for lighting, Definitely head on over to Quasar Science and take a peek around. Uh, let's see, who else is supporting the show? Um, I got a bunch of new reads coming up, but for today's episode, you know what? Let me throw on Dale Strong for today. So I know it's not a chef's episode, but it is a book about uh, a murderous assassin, God, going on rampages and punching through people, and it's incredibly gory, and I think of really cool Dale Strong knives <laughs> while I'm reading a book like this. <laughs> if you are a professional chef, if you're a line cook, if you are just someone that is trying to become better at cooking in the kitchen, like you want to try to make some of the meals that I post on Instagram, if you want to try to uh, replicate meals that you can't get in restaurants right now, have you guys noticed what a pain in the ass fucking delivery is? I mean, it's great that there is so many different delivery services out there, but the other day we ordered delivery from some, I forget who it was from. I don't know if it was from like Uber Eats or Grubhub or wherever the fuck it was, but it was like two hours into it. It was like, this is sushi sitting on a counter. Anyway, I'm, I'm ranting. Uh, if you want to create great meals, I highly suggest you get the right tool for it. And the first tool that you should look at, the first, the first place you should go, besides having a great set of pots and pans 
and obviously having silverware to eat with, you fucking animal, uh, is get your hands on a good chef's knife. And here's why. It isn't just so you look sexy cutting things in the kitchen. A sharp, well-balanced chef's knife will make it safer for you. So while you're chopping through your vegetables, while you're trying to cut through an onion or a tomato, you ever use a dull knife with one of those and it slips off the skin and almost cut your fucking finger off? Anytime that there's a knife accident in the kitchen, it's because of a dull knife. And you want a decent sized chef's knife so that way you can rock it, right? You ever, you know the rocking method where you lay it down, you put the front of the blade, always stays con uh, consistent on the board, and then you're just feeding vegetables, chop, 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 and you're rocking and cutting that way. You can't do that when you're cutting with a steak knife. I've seen videos, what was I watching? We were watching, uh, what's the name of that guy? Uncle Roger. Uncle Roger, I don't know if you guys have seen, I'll give him a plug. There's a really funny uh, comedian called Uncle Roger, and he was he was pulling apart uh, an old Ni Nigella special. Nigella, Nigella, I think is her name. Uh, and I used to watch them years ago, She's like the British cook. Uh, it's very beautiful. Like everything that she shoots is gorgeous. The sets are gorgeous. She's gorgeous. And she was doing, she was cutting through some sort of vegetables and she was using a fucking steak knife. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I thought you were a professional chef. You don't cut with a steak knife. Who else cuts with a steak knife? Gina's grandmother. Your grandmother cuts with a steak knife. <laughs> right? This is the best knife, the knife I've always had. Yeah, no, you wanna use a steak knife. And if you are looking for a cool knife, if you're looking for a really great uh, style of knife, uh, head on over to DaleStrong, DaleStrong.com. Uh, and while you're there, we have a promo code with them. I think it's ILWP DaleStrong. I think that's what it is. We'll post it below the episode, but it'll get you 15% off of any of their chef's knives. And look at their prices because they're incredibly affordable. You can get a banging chef's knife for like 90 bucks, and then you get the percentage off. It's a pretty good deal. You can get a really beautiful murder weapon. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would not suggest that. But I, I, I recently did a post last week uh, showing off this huge cleaver that I have from them. Uh, the thing is so heavy and beautifully balanced, but it's so wonderfully heavy that I could just hold it over a chicken and it'll cut it in half. I love their stuff. I can't say enough great things about them. So if you guys are looking for a fun tool to have in the kitchen, something that's safe, something that will change the quality of your meals, it'll change the way you cut through onions, it'll change the way you prep your stuff, it'll make cutting vegetables fun. Get yourself a Dale Strong Chef's Night. Go to dalestrong.com. Mm. And in, as always, if you want to support the show and you haven't done so already, sign up for a free trial at Audible. Now, this is important. You can't have done this already. But if you haven't done it already with another podcast, use our promo code. I think it's audibletrial.com backslash and level the process. I'm almost positive that's what it is. But the link will be in the description of the show, like all these other links. Click on that, sign up, get 30 days for free. You'll get a free audiobook. You get access to a bunch of content from them. They do, they do all sorts of shit these days. Really cool audio series. I think they get, they're in a podcast now. I think they do all that shit. Um, it's a great resource. It's a great place to dig into novels, and it's where I have been going 
to listen to books because I never have time to read books. Um, and so I've got a few that I've been listening to right now. I'm listening to one on um, on dreams, on dreaming, on lucid dreaming, which is pretty cool. It's a pretty cool book. Uh, so yeah, head on over there, sign up for a free trial. After 30 days, if you have to cancel, I get it. You don't have enough money. Something comes up. You're going to want to stick around because you're going to be deep in books. Uh, but if you got to cancel, big deal. We still get paid. So it's the best way to help the show make cash. I'm telling you, it's the fastest way to get us cash without it costing you a dime. So sign up for a free trial at Audible below. I love it when every two months or three months we see the rewards from you guys going and doing that. So thank you so much. All right, that's it. Let's get back into it. Are you uh, are you in your in your place on your own, sort of like blocking through fight sequences on your own, or do you have it all in your head at this point? You could sit down and sketch it out. Oh, I could. Yeah, I mean, I'm a first degree black belt. I can work it out myself. I need to, you know. Um, <laughs> is that what you mean? Can I just pull it out of my head? Yeah. Well, or you know, because I, I I've had um, I had Tom Cruise's stunt coordinator um, uh, Eastwood on the show for. Um, oh, yeah for uh the mission impossible so the last the fallout mission impossible with that epic fight scene that happens in the bathroom with the sink and everything okay. and yeah. and i talked with him in detail about that and he said that he had to physically go into <laughs> he went into a men's room laid down on the floor of a men's room and looked around and tried to figure out how he'd fight his way out of that men's room before he could choreograph yeah. that fight yeah. scene. you know i didn't know if that was the I, same kind of thing I that mean, he did after having drawn for so many years, I don't necessarily really have to go and act it out myself um, because I kind of know what the body looks like doing these things. But yeah, I mean, I've thought about that before. Like when I'm on the mats, you know, yeah. would I be able to, how could I incorporate, incorporate this in a superhero, you know, setting or something, you know, but that's just my fantasy, you know, my, my brain fantasizing about stuff. So. <laughs> Which is a big part of your job. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's super. It's like you have this extra ability, like because I've I've talked with other comic book artists and I've I've hung out with other dudes that are kind of nerdy and and you look at their fight sequences and I think that might be a big difference between your your fight sequences and other comic book artists is because you do have <laughs> you do have yeah, knowledge. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't I haven't really compared anybody, but. Um, I'm glad you think so. It's, uh, I'm doing my job correctly then. <laughs> well, hell yeah, man. Like, <laughs> and you're also drawing like like uh, male heroes with the yeah. right kind of bravado. I, and it isn't, it, it's so dangerous to say a word like bravado these days. It's not like a toxic bravado. It's, it's more like Wait. the weight Wait. of strength. Mike, please have no, uh, don't hesitate at all. <laughs> Because this, that's yeah. Don't even worry about it. Okay. I know where you're going with that. <laughs> fine to say that. Completely fine. Okay, good. Because it's it's refreshing. And being someone that read comic books as like a teenager, uh, I fell in love with that stuff. I fell in love with the old Jim Lee work, or uh, I fell in yeah. love with the old X Men, or even the Wildcats and Grifter, and just these characters in mid-flight yeah. and the way their shoes looked and all those little yeah, details. You know? Yeah. Sorry, I would say, yeah, Jim is probably 
got one of the most masculine looks to his his work, you know, his male characters. You know, his females are great too. Yeah. But his men are very, you know, he just understands proportions in a certain way. He does it in a certain way that really has an, uh, you know, a very uh, masculine appeal to them. Um, you know, the size of the fists, the way the arms are, you know, the, the way the chest comes out. It's, you know, he's really great at that. And I think it's one of his strongest things. It's very, you know, it's like, you know, it's like as far as singers, like I think of, when I think of the most, the absolute most male singer I can think of is Tom Jones. You know, <laughs> <laughs> guy's voice is like, you know, if I could have a voice, it would be his. You know, if I could sing, yeah. And I think him is, you know, kind of like that. He just has this really, you know, really uh, potent sort of masculinity to his his figure work, to his male figure work, and his females too. You know, but I would, when I think females, I think Adam Hughes or somebody like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. But for males, I, I probably would think of Jim as far as like just pushing that, you know, that impact when you first look at his work. So very handsome stuff. Yeah. And then, but then there's also, because I'm right now, I'm just staring at one of your pieces of Juggernaut sort of standing on this like post apocalyptic landscape and just holding his helmet with his head down and just the way. The hand is holding the helmet is so human, and oh, cover you mean, yeah, yeah. It's it's really great, dude. And there's, I think that always got me. So of course, as a kid, you're looking at it, you're like, wow, awesome. There are all these characters that are jumping off the page at you, and like he's firing guns and he's like kicking his way through a window. Really fucking cool. But then as you sort of go through the book, and there are these smaller panels and these side panels where the character is just exhausted or it's just sort of taking in. Yeah, you know, it's funny you would say that because that um, cover, Fabian and I had a little disagreement on that, unfriendly way at all. It was just, he he was like, why don't you make him just coming at us, you know, through the rubble? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, man, this is, a, you have to dig a little deeper on this. You know, it's like he he's feeling the weight of everything he's done around him. That whole city is destroyed. Yeah. The whole point of the the series was to make him more feel more human and accessible, and so I felt like taking his helmet off and him just standing there amongst the rubble, like he's really struggling with being this destructive force, you know. And ultimately, it, it turned out to be one of my favorite covers that I've ever done. I just love the way it came out, you know. Um, it's fantastic, the man. Position, the weight, the, you know, the way that you know everything kind of, kind of ports, points down to him and, and is on top of him in a way, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm glad you picked that up. Well, dude, it's that detail. It's that detail that I'm struggling to put into my film. It's, it's, that, it's that visual detail, whether you're talking about the angles of the background sort of forcing perspective on a character or what it means to have a specific posture or hold a helmet a certain way, what that says at first glance, because with movies, I, I wanted to, I want the dialogue almost not even necessary. The dialogue is something that's just additional. I want you to be able to watch these characters go and do right. things on screen and completely understand what they're going through because of their, because as humans, we're consistently judging other humans based upon their body posture, what outfits they're wearing. You know, yeah. that's that's how we see things initially. You know. No, that's that's true. That's definitely true. There are a few. There are not a whole lot of directors who can pull that stuff off um, 
it's really is a refined, uh, you know, a refined learned ability yeah. over time. I think it just comes with experience. Um, and it, it sounds like you're on the right track, you know, you're, you know, just the fact that you're aware of that because a lot of people aren't, you know, those subtle cues and, you know, it's like everything, you know, if you watch the Godfather, it'll take the, the best movie of all time, the Godfather, you know, just the fact that the, you know, the, um, uh, that they, uh, that Copley used a yellow filter on everything, a sepia sort of tone, you know, those yeah. things all make a difference, you know, um, that you don't, you're not thinking about consciously, you know, but all that stuff that you're talking about, the weight, the environment, telling the story without having to actually use the dialogue all contributes to that experience for sure. Um, I think Quentin Tarantino does it pretty well. He does. I, he had a big shift, I think, once he started doing Kill Bill and he started getting into yeah. like the fight choreography and everything and Kill Bill. Then you started to see, really see him change That's his so angles funny. and perspectives. So funny you would say that. Sorry to interrupt because I'm wearing a Hattori Hanzo sweatshirt uh, <laughs> right now. It says Hattori Hanzo Swords and Sushi Okinawa, Japan. And that's it's, about, it's from Kill Bill. So. Oh, dude, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, did. he's one of those guys that does a really good job with it. And, and, you know, I know it's probably a controversial statement to say as far as the comic book world's concerned, but love him or hate the movies in general. I think Zack Snyder sort of has his head wrapped around that that thing as well because you know the recent justice league stuff felt like a jim lee book on on the screen ultimately do you yeah, well well i think he helped out with the storyboarding or something didn't he i heard that i heard he actually boarded out the entire series that he was supposed to do was what yeah. what i heard from it that makes sense um yeah i mean it, it's astonishing to see the difference you know, when you put things in a different context, add scenes and, you know, and how much more gravitas and weight and emotion it add to it. Yeah. And the one thing I was impressed the most with was how he took the Flash from being this annoying sort of teenage boyish character <laughs> to a real heavy sort of important, um, you know, uh, enig not enigmatic, but just, you know, important character who, had, who was really awe-inspiring, you know. Yeah. You know, he did running faster than light and going back. It was really crazy cool to me. I thought really so, too. That, the way he elevated that character. Yeah, you know? I thought so, too. And the thing I really like about his style, Zach's tone, and I call it a tone when it's a director, and it's the same thing I think if you're an artist, you have a very specific tone to your work as well. He just is suited for it so well, and a lot of people, like, he does too much slow motion. I get why he's doing the slow motion stuff. He's trying to essentially recreate a freeze frame from a comic book. That's really what he's trying to do. Well, you know what? I blame the $6 million man for it. <laughs> <laughs> it all fall from that freaking show. You know, I mean, they caught on that they could make Steve, well, Steve Austin looked ridiculous running as if he was running 60 miles an hour and they just slowed it down. That was it. And everything followed suit after that. So. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, man. You have that. And then you have uh, John Woo from the, from the 90s. And then prior to him, you have Sam Peckinpah, the old slow-mos from the Sam Peckinpah. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. I know. Kidding you. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> You're bringing up Sam Peckinpah, of course. You know. 
You can't compare the two. I just, for some reason, I always stuck out in my head as a scene with Six Million Dollar Man, where he was carrying, he was running with a wheelbarrow, a real wheelbarrow. And they did it, they tried it in regular motion, like he was running, like his legs were moving really fast. And it looked so ridiculous. (laughs) After that, they stopped doing it. But anyway, yeah, go back to Sam Peckett. (laughs) I love that transition. it's me like I, I took a film course in, in college. This is hilarious. <laughs> and I tried to make a joke and it fell flat. But uh, we were talking about Kurosawa, uh-huh. you know, and the Seven Samurai and this and that. And they were talking about the how how Kurosawa's action scenes in that movie were, you know, obviously ahead of their time kind of thing. And then sure. I joked. They said. Yeah, it was kind of like the Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> and the whole place was silent. Just looked over at me and like it's a joke. <laughs> the professor's like failed. <laughs> yeah, the professor's like, well, I can't argue with the logic of the Dukes of Hazard, but yeah. I'm like, it was a joke. <laughs> great about all of those directors and i think there's a reason why that their work sort of transcends time so if you're talking about kurosawa if you're talking about peck and paw um in i don't even want to put Zack snyder in the same category because all the fans will just lose their shit um as peck and paw or kurosawa as, as either of them but i think that he he definitely has earned his stripes like the like uh zack snyder really knows how to do an amazing frame he really knows how to do an amazing composition and he i think it's to you know i'm trying to think of his resume what other movies you know besides superhero movies has he got? yeah before that his first one in was the remake of um it was dawn of the dead right so he did the okay. remake of dawn of the dead and then he jumped right into 300 and then he was in right right superhero stuff oh, yeah 300 was pretty great um yeah yeah i think with him it, you know he's definitely matured then you know i think it's uh i, I thought i felt like you compare the two movies the whedon one and the fire one obviously there's a different level of maturity and like what you were saying mm-hmm. frame. um i think if he tried to apply that to something non-superhero it might be interesting for him yeah like to see it. You know, the way that, you know, Spielberg went from Jaws to, uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I think might be good for him. I mean, he's handled this huge epic this way. It's four hours long and all. However, as long as it was, there was so much more heart to it that it was easy to sit through. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I completely you know, agree. Yeah. You really want to find out what was going to happen next as long as it was. It, dra- it dragged on, but it just felt like you were living the experience for a long time. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, it makes sense. I mean, you work in comics. <laughs> you know, like it's it, it makes sense why. It's the same reason I liked it. Like we got a lot of, I got a lot of flack for posting that I liked it because everybody's like, it was terrible. It's not what I see my heroes to be. And I'm like. I can find things that I could say aren't that great about it but it really i honestly i think when you get to a certain level you have to you can almost make a choice of what to that you're going to like the things that are great about it or just harp on the things that could be better 
And I think some people, when you get to a certain level of, of, of ability that people are experiencing, they, you know, there's just negative people and there's positive people. That's true. I can pick apart some things at the Snyder thing, of course. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm it's... not going to harp on that because I want to focus on the things that I thought were much better. You know, and I think people do the critics do it in comics. I mean, I just heard a review the other day. Uh, what were they saying about Berserker in regards to the art? Something like, oh, well, we've been spoiled with this guy or that guy. But, you know, this art is pretty good, you know, and that kind of thing. And it was so negative. Like, why don't you just focus on it for what it is? You know, focus on the positive things for what it is rather than comparing it to something else, you know. So, I mean, and, and with the Justice League, obviously, it's inevitable to compare it to the first one. You know, that was the whole point of it. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, I just enjoyed the positive things I saw in it and, the, you know, and the way certain things impacted me, you know, so. Yeah, me too. So. Me too, man. And, you know, to, to counteract that, whatever that review is on Berserker, give me a break. Like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, really, everybody's entitled. Yeah, but also, you know, being a guy that's collected comic books since he was 13 years old, whenever you hear about a, you know, a movie book or a book that's written by someone that is famous, you, the, I can pretty much predict that the art's going to suffer for it. And so most of the time when you see like these books that are put out that way, you're like, okay, so it's going to be terrible artwork. And this was like... I have to say, I was completely surprised. So when I picked it up, I was like, oh shit, this art's really great. And then I saw that it was your name on it. I went, oh, of course. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, this is cool, man. It, like, it was a, it's one of those things that I feel like if it didn't have the hype of a Netflix series and it didn't have the hype of a Netflix movie, the book could it, stand on its own. It would completely stand on its own. Well, no, don't get me wrong. The majority, you know, 95, 99% of the review, I mean, you know, I don't harp on the reviews too much, but you know, they were great. You know, they were very, very nice. And, uh, and I'm just pleased with the way whole, the whole thing turned out. It really, you know, um, it was a special project. Uh, one of those lightning in a bottle moments, I feel like, you know, yeah. because of who the writer writers were, you know, Keanu and Matt and me and Bill look good together, the colorist. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Everything kind of fell into place perfectly, you know? Yeah. And it, to, you know, honestly, we were all sort of like, whoa, we didn't, we expected a good reaction, but the reaction it got, like, to, it catapulted it into the top of everything. And I don't think we ex quite expected it to be the reception as good as it was, you know. We expected it, but not to the degree it got, so. Yeah, well, dude, like, whoever ends up directing it, I don't know if they've announced who's going to direct it, has got a lot to live up to, because the book is so wonderfully graphic it's so wonderfully it's it's kind of gory it's got a lot of gore to it is if they're, yeah. <laughs> they're kind of do the point i came from marvel and marvel i had to tailor that back quite a bit yeah it, uh, i would do certain things oh we can't show that or we can't show this you know and so i'd have to either imply it or pull back on it or and so when i started it you know Keanu said to me he's like hey man you know let's push it even farther. You know, this isn't, you know, you don't have to worry about that here. And I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> okay. You know, so I just went to town and, you know, um, so that's what I mean when I say it's good to have a team that works good together because you can, if you're working close, you know, somebody's going to pick up something you don't see and you're going to pick up something they don't see. And, you know, uh, it all fell into place really nicely. 
Hell yeah, mm-hmm. man. And then were you guys doing most of the illustration stuff was this all over the quarantine period were you guys just doing this remotely it's just like zoom calls and all that kind of stuff yeah i mean i yeah for sure um it was right at the height of it um you know back in the fall yeah everybody was like you know living inside their own plastic bubble (laughs) Um, so i came into the project late i mean i I mean i'll just tell you how it all happened I, i came into the project late I mean, I had just finished up with Marvel. I, you know, I didn't want to renew a contract, and Marvel was kind of up in the air about what they were going to do about everything, mm-hmm. COVID. And um, I just wanted to move on, and because um, I had been there for thirty, you know, I've been drawing comics and involved in comics for thirty-five years. For Marvel, it was thirty of those years. Wow! Um, wow! Two years at DC, and so. Uh, you know, I just felt it. I, you know, it's just like I need to just move on and find, spread my wings elsewhere. I mean, it just felt like time had been, and that company's changed so much, and it's just you know going in a different direction. And I had done all these different characters already, and you know, I just wanted to try something new, and yeah. or just not. I needed a break too. I was so shot from doing them for all these years. You know, um, it's a lot of work, and. Uh, so I thought I was going to take a break and maybe paint, do some paintings again, maybe get a gallery thing going somewhere, uh, just do commissions and covers, you know, stuff that wasn't so high stress. Mm-hmm. So what happens, <laughs> I open up my email and there's Boom Studios contacting <laughs> me and saying, hey, you know, we're just wondering what your availability is. And I'm like, well... It's funny you should ask. I mean, I just, you know, my contract is up with Marvel now and I'm kind of going to go off on my own and do whatever I want. And they were like, well, here's the thing, you know, we're doing this this project with Keanu Reeves and he really loves your work. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Keanu Reeves, like the Keanu Reeves movies, Keanu Reeves? John Wick? (laughs) Well, okay. And at first I thought it was, you know, it was something he was just going to put his name on and, know right they said well i didn't hear that from him you know and i'm not sure i wanted to (laughs) jump into a from one relationship into another relationship you know i just just got divorced from marvel basically and Mm -hmm. uh, so i wasn't sure i wanted to do that but uh, they said hey can you do a zoom meeting we can talk to you about it i'm like sure you know so um I did the Zoom meeting a few days later. I clicked the button. There's Keanu Reeves staring at me. <laughs> like, hey, Ron, how you doing? I'm like, good. How are you? We gave each other a virtual hug. And, and that's how it all started. You know, it was with a bunch of other guys, a few other guys from Boom there, uh, the editor, and, uh, a couple guys. And, uh, so that's how it all started. And they had already been doing it for a number of months, which I didn't know. I had no idea about any of it because – I don't really follow what's going on so much in the industry, really, you know, I'm right. Four children. I'm so busy when I'm done for the day, I'm done for the day. I don't go and research who's doing what. And, um, so, uh, turns out they had been doing it for a while and there was an artist on it previous to me who, and it, for whatever reasons they parted ways. And, um, so they asked me to do it. We talked, if, you know, and Keanu actually kind of, you know, talk me into it a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll, I'm in. And um, so 
I did the f- whole first issue. It was 44 pages in the chart. I didn't know, but I guess the previous artist had already done the whole first issue. And you can see some of the pages out on the internet. Oh, wow. I think, I think Bleeding Cool did a comparison of mine with his and, you know, a few of them and stuff. Um, so it was interesting, you know, but I, they wanted to start with me fresh right from issue one. So, you know, they started over again rather than use the first issue that the other guy had done. That's that's awesome. So nice, and it worked out. You know, I mean, it, it really worked out. You know, once I got my ball rolling, the momentum started building, and it got very exciting for all of us. You know, I started turning the pages in, and Kano, and Matt, and Bill. You know, it was all and the editor, and you know, they were all responding really well, and then the colors. And, you know, and it just it became a steam train. You know, yeah, and boom, launched, and it was this biggest, you know, the biggest thing in thirty years. So. Very proud of it. <clears throat> Very cool. You know what, too? Because I, I didn't know the comparisons. I'm actually looking at it right now online. And, uh, oh, yeah. You're dude, you're I, I, I'm allowed to say that I'm happy you did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not, I, look, I think the guy's a great artist. He is a great artist. But there's a, you yeah, could, you could cool. see the difference in action. You can see the difference in energy from an outside perspective. Yeah, think, totally. Yeah, it's just one of those things. He's probably, you know, better in other areas that I'm not what have you it's just you know it just worked out so yeah I, I really do I think he's a terrific artist yeah so. it's really cool man and and so uh, I think what a lot of people don't realize um, and I didn't learn this until years I, I spent like a, uh, a couple of days hanging out with Ben Templesmith who did 30 days a night did all those books and we yeah, t- yeah, yeah. we talked for a that while a- <laughs> what's that and I said that was a cool movie, Thirty Days a Night. I oh, really the movie was it. great. Yeah, David Slade directed that. He he ended yeah. up going on to actually designing the look for the Hannibal TV series too, which was fascinating. Um, oh yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's a movie you're talking about. Not to digress here, but you were talking before about you know a movie that has a feeling to it that without a lot of dialogue, I think that one sort of does. You know, yeah. it has such a atmosphere to it. Obviously, the setting has a lot to do with it. It being dark for you know that long, <laughs> being this whole town and everything. It was really crazy cool to watch. Yeah, David Slade's got a really great style. He's got a, his own sense of tone and style, and he does a really great job with it. And he's he shoots things a very specific way, and he technically shoots things with different shutter speeds. And he's got a very sort of darker feel and sort of desaturated feel for stuff. He does a really good job with it. I always love his work, and he's one of those directors like an artist like i'd follow your books i'd follow jim lee's books same thing with directors like i'll follow directors specifically because of their tone and and literally just go i wonder what this guy's gonna do with a vampire movie i wonder what this guy's gonna do with hannibal you know what i mean so he's he's definitely one of those artists that I, i i follow and uh going back to uh ben so ben and i hung out for a while it was really fun and i did an interview with him and I was asking him about his style because Ben's got a very specific sketching style, the way he does it. And he told me afterwards, he goes, I just had to be clever about what I was doing and the level of detail that I did because you have to turn these pages around really quick. And I think a lot of people don't realize, and I don't know if it's the, still the same way, but at the time when I was talking to him, a lot of people don't realize that you get paid per page. Is that still yeah. the thing? Yeah, well, I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big deal. Um, you know, working for Marvel all those years, you know, people don't realize that, 
And that, because I was always a guy who could do regular books. And I'll be the first to admit that I got caught up in early on in my career and trying to please the editors because their, you know, their whole thing is get the book done because they're breathing down our necks because of the schedule. Yeah. And so they bring on your neck and it becomes a stressful, really serious pain in the ass. And, um, so I got good at keeping on time, but my work was suffering for it, you know, and I could, you know, and so my learning curve probably took, maybe a little longer on how to be fast and good at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you guys think who really can do that well, like JR or whoever, um, you know, a lot of the guys who are really great. Uh, they can't do regular books, but I, I managed to be able to do both, you know, but it kind of kept me in a, in an area, you know, and it was only until I really committed to just wanting to do quality. And once the, books became story arcs as opposed to one artist on for 12 issues straight mm-hmm. that freed me up to be able to become more of the artist I knew I was capable of being, um, you know, cause that, like I said, I was a painter and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so it helped me a lot in that regard, but yeah, you have to, you have to make a living, you know, and you gotta get paid. So. <laughs> yeah. so totally. <laughs> and it, how, how long does it generally, cause you, I'm sure you have it all timed out at this point for 30 years doing this. How long does it, generally take you to do a page like a like a panel it depends on what's on the on the, on the page a lot of times um when i was doing uh the marvel style of plots like things went full script so that's different than doing the full plot the full plots i was able to be a little bit faster on because eh, not faster but i was able to apply more of my own storytelling sensibilities on them because i could you know, create double spreads and moments like in Captain America, you know, Mm -hmm. jumps out at me in particular when I think about it, you know, that Mark had originally wanted is just like a panel um, of Captain America diving in front of the Red Skull to save him from getting shot with bullets. And I turned that into a big double page spread. So when you opened up the next page, it was this bullets flying across the page in Captain America leaping across the whole double spread and you know just to make it really impressive for the reader so i was always having more fun mm-hmm. that kind of thing uh whereas now with the full scripts and everything you're not you know you're a little more hamstrung by them you know and how much uh, the writer will put on a page i'm actually struggling a little bit that now on some of the berserker pages actually uh, because they're trying to fit so much story in on some of these issues you know as opposed to the first issue yeah and uh, you know, you have to be careful, you know, because you want the reader to still have that look, you know, they still want to be awe-inspired, and that's what the art does, you know. Yeah. The art is what creates the awe. You can read it, you know, fun with the story and intellectualize the story, but what creates the visual awe is are the visuals, you know, the feel of it. And um, you have to be very careful with that, that you're not stuffing too much in on each page. Yeah. Um, so you can get it nice and big and breathable and um, so like, yeah, like I said, with the full scripts, it's a little more difficult with that. And I have to stress sometimes to the writers, like you need to give me room to do what you want me to do, you know? So, well, that's what I was going to ask you. So when you say a full script, it, it's just, it's a, it's a dialogue heavy description, heavy kind of script is what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the dialogue's all there. That's what I mean, the full script, Got you it. know, it's, um, every character, what they're saying, and, you know, what they're doing and, 
Whereas the plots were like, you know, what pages one through five, for instance, or one through eight, this is what the character's doing, you know, and it's paragraphs of, you know, maybe a couple pages of paragraphs mm-hmm. of what's going on on those eight pages, you know, but it's not laid out. And what happened what, back then was that you would lay it out, do it, and then the writer would find the words to fit what you did on the page. Oh. Now the words are already there because the writers, you know, they want their writing to be the important thing. And, and, and I get it. It's their art form. It just shouldn't compete with the art is what I'm saying. You know, it should be a smooth transition. It should be breathable on both ends. So, yeah, I mean, this issue that you're talking about is a rampant issue in the film industry, too, where, you know, I think oftentimes I'll get into conversations with folks as we're designing things where it's like, Look, I know we're spending so much time coming up with the mythology of these of these creatures, or I'm spending so much time coming up with this texture, which at the end of the day, the scene itself needs to be scary. I need to have the pieces and the elements in front of the camera to uh, show this. I don't want to have characters saying this shit. And it's a big thing with a lot of uh, streaming service content right now where they're just sort of stretching things out for time. So you'll have like a real dynamic opening sequence where they spend all their money and you'll have like Keanu Reeves jumping out of, a, <laughs> out of an airplane and you'll see that whole sequence like you did in your book. And then they'll cut to another scene where there are two or three people standing in a warehouse. It doesn't cost a lot. And then you're just telling the audience about the scene that we just saw. And you're like, I, I already saw it, dude. Can we go on to another jumping out of a helicopter sequence? <laughs> you know? Uh, it's yep. it's definitely rampant in uh, in the storytelling medium these days. Where um, I think that especially with TV, TV's become more of a writer's platform, and so they're the showrunners uh, and everything. Yeah, all the visual. Yeah, you know, comics is too. Um, I don't necessarily think uh, it's sometimes it's not quite as fair. Most people are fair about it, but you know sometimes it's it irks me a little bit when I see people talking about the book as if it's not a comic book as if it's a novel they read and it's just about the writing but it's Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. it's it's a visual thing you know and you have to when you watch a movie you watch the directing you watch the camera shots you watch you know and then the dialogue is a part of that and it should all be one and the same um you can't take that for granted i think a lot of people do um so yeah I mean, I think it's, you know, it's kind of just the nature of things. Yeah. Yeah. We figure it out, (laughs) figure out ways around and try to make it work. But at the end of the day, it just, I think that what I start doing is I I get hungry for this stuff. Like I miss like uh, content that is very visually loaded. So you're, you get like, I always reference um, Mad Max Fury Road. Like if there is a movie that is visually loaded, that is that movie. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's the one with Charlie Theron. With Charlie Theron in it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was a crazy. Yeah. How'd you like Tom Hardy in that? I thought Tom Hardy was great, but I just recently saw, and I never really give too much attention to this stuff, but someone sent one of those deep fakes where they swapped out his face for Mel Gibson. <laughs> and yeah. I watched it and the my little like thirteen year old heart inside of me just sort of broke a little bit and I went, Oh, what wouldn't that have been amazing if it was him? <laughs> yeah, I know. Because I know. Because I mean it's like I love Tom Hardy. I do too. Yeah, yeah. It's why make him Mad Max? 
Yeah. Why not just have him be somebody else? You know, yeah. Mel Gibson to me is Mad Max. Maybe he's his, you know, I don't know, relative, who knows. But I, there's this penchant now towards replacing characters who are a character and, you know, having somebody else take them over. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about all that. You know, I just think, um, you know, you get hit with a character and it sticks with you for a reason. Yeah, Matt Max is Mel Gibson. He's the one who, you know, he made that character. Just everything about his acting, and you know, yep. So it's hard for me to look at it, another char- another actor playing, you know. So I hear you. I agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and there's 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 benefits to to both performances, and maybe you're right. Maybe it wouldn't have been Max if he was playing a different character. Then it would have been more interesting, and I'm sure it would have been a lot less stress on him as an actor if he wasn't having to live up to um, yeah, no, no he might not status. care. I mean, he seemed like a he just seemed like a different character to me. Yeah. It didn't seem like the same character. It seemed like the same world, you know, maybe it was just a different variation. He might have been a guy at the same time as Mel, maybe a few states over, you know. <laughs> he just you know, he went through his thing, Matt, you know, Max went through his. So well and I then, don't know. And then Char Charlize really stole the show. Like her fresh character and, and Furiosa and all that stuff. I thought was that name Furiosa. It's so cool. You know she's a terrific actress. I mean um, actor, whatever you want to call it. Uh she like I, I remember thinking that when I saw Devil's Advocate. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. When she was, I felt like she was stealing some of the scenes in that too, you know? Um, yeah, totally. Like when she was talking about hearing the demons, like she's like, do you hear that? You know, and she, you know, she seems really, really believably spooked and freaked out, you know? And like her, she was going insane because of what was happening. And uh, she was so believable by the time she cut her own throat <laughs> you know, and, and then Keanu, you know, who's the him too, his, his reaction to her cutting her throat, I thought was really effective. Yeah. Uh, yeah so. He, by the way, he seems like he's the coolest guy on the planet. He seems like he's the nicest fucking dude in the world. I mean, you've spent time with him. Is he cool? He has a gift of making you feel like he just feels comfortable, you know? Just like, yeah, he just talks and it's like, you know, and after you get over the trippy bit of looking at him and realizing, you know, because when I first started talking to him, uh, you know, and he was on my screen talking, you know, it's like a little trippy. You know, you're like <laughs> kind of staring at him. You can't believe, like, you know, it's like this, wait a minute. You feel like you're in the Matrix because Neo is kind of talking to you a little bit, you know. <laughs> And it's yeah. hard that you have to divorce yourself from the characters that you've seen him play, you know, and, you know, and now I'm used to it now. So it's easy, but in the begin- very beginning, the first couple of times talking to him, it was like trippy you know, looking <laughs> at him and, and thinking about the devil's advocate or thinking about the, the replacements, you know, and every now and then I get, and I'm not a starstruck person, but I love talking about acting and stuff and movies. Yeah. And so a few times I've talked to him and I'll try, you know, Actually, in the last interview we did, uh, it's on YouTube. And I, at the very end of it, I start talking about how much I love the scene in John Wick at the end where the assassin sits down with him at the hotel and tells him what a fanny is. The same guy who's trying to kill him, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would be in the movie. And I can't help but beam over those things because I love it so much, you know? He loves acting. He loves making movies. So 
sometimes it's, you know, um, I, I don't want to dominate the conversation with those things, but I can't help it. I just love that stuff so much. So. <laughs> I completely, I completely sympathize. I have been lucky enough to work with people that, uh, I grew up respecting and, uh, I'm all, I've said this before. I've always been happy to find out that they're not pieces of shit in real life. It's always really nice to meet someone and go, Oh, you're really cool too. In real life. Yes. Awesome. He just, why? I think he kind of just comports himself like he wants to just be out. You know, it's funny because sorry, I'm eating a pistachio. There's a scene of him on a subway or a, train in New York or something. Oh, right. Yes. I mean, he's just out in the public and he offers a woman a seat. But when you look, like he sits down and somebody's filming him on a cell phone and I think he spots it, you know, he spots the cell phone, somebody taking it. And it's interesting because I think he's, he's got to be hyper aware of that stuff. Oh, completely. Like he's, you know, he's probably always looking around. (laughs) Excuse me. <clears throat> I just choked on my pistachio. Hold on. <laughs> it's, we're allowed to do that on this show. It's fine. I usually oh. eat sandwiches and stuff while we're doing the interview. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> He's hyper aware of that kind of thing. And I think uh, he, ha- he handles it well. So Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. He seems like he's a rad dude. He's one of those yeah. guys that it's would cool. be one day to be awesome to cross paths with him because he just seems like such a down-to-earth well, dude. In comics, too, he, he's really somebody who, who uh, that's what I was talking, I asked him about the replacements because I noticed in the replacements he he can throw football. He's really throwing the football. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I asked him, I said, did you, have, did you really train for that or can you throw a football that good? I said, can you still throw a football? He's like, no. He said, I trained for that. You know, He said, I, I could get about 50 yards with a good spiral. I said, well, that's great. But I'm impressed with that, you know, because it requires commitment and, you know, um, and research. And he's come into the comics industry and he's researching how to get it and doing this. You know, he's not somebody who's, um, you know, stuffy and wants to just have everybody else do it. He wants to be involved and wants to learn about it. So I, I respect it. You know, I have nothing but respect for that. He's a he's a gifted guy, you know, so. Really cool, man. Really cool. Well, I'm I'm sort of hitting the point where we got to wrap this up. Um, yeah, I'm choking up pistachios. Yeah, it's all good, man. And you know, and uh, speaking of respect, I respect you for your work, man. I respect you for coming on the show and taking the time and and sharing Thanks. as much as you did. Like, um, uh, it's really cool shit, dude. And the book, I, I can't wait to get the next issue. I think the book is really great. Um, I'm curious. Some cool seeds issue and just like what the hell oh i can't wait i can't wait hope you like it. <laughs> dude i can't wait and honestly i'm i'm fascinated to see how they're going to be able to adapt this work your work to the big screen to a netflix show and i'm curious i hope it's a yeah. hard i hope it's a hard r i really do i hope yeah, they can do it i'm curious myself and maybe i'll be able to be involved in it in some degree i don't know but um yeah, it's fun. I mean, I you know, it, it came very fast. It not you know, we kind of expected it was going to do maybe go that route, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think we expected it to happen that quickly. So super cool, dude. I'm all tickled about it. Yeah, <laughs> you should be. It's fucking rad, man. And it's a it's a great 
it's such a smart move. It really is to to put yeah. out a comic and then have this whole thing and then put out a series. It's such a smart move. So I, think I would like to have seen it on the big screen, maybe instead of Netflix, you know, a Netflix movie. But hey, either way, it's all good. Yeah, who knows what deal they make, man? I mean, with the success of Godzilla versus Kong over the past weekend, uh, that's done really well uh, overseas. Like I think they're crossing in a hundred million. Done on Wednesday to see it. What, you're going Wednesday? Yeah, because it opens up here on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. So I got like a month and a half ago. I, I ordered them. So my son is just like besides himself. He can't wait. I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I am too. Yeah. It's weird to see my son being a Godzilla nut because I, I loved it too when I was like 10. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm a, I'm a huge nut for it. I, I've always loved that stuff. And, and I'm excited. I've only heard really great things about this new movie. So I think. Oh, yeah. wait then. Awesome. Yeah, man. I literally didn't watch a lot of the trailers because I didn't want to have it give me any preconceived, you know, misconceptions about what might happen. So it's all a surprise. You know, yeah. Sometimes trailers give away too much. They totally do. Um, and I, my, it's my hope. I think they're finally smartening up and they're going, people want to see monsters fight. <laughs> so it's it's less <laughs> it's less about going to see people go, look at those monsters fight, and more about seeing people, like seeing the monsters actually fight each other. So true. In the very in the first one when they came out a couple few years back, and he's fighting the Muto, it was a scene where he's fighting and fighting. All of a sudden, the camera just shifts away from them. I'm just I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> See that? Well, yeah, they definitely learned for sure. Yeah, no. So fingers crossed on all that stuff. Well, look, uh, Ron, thanks for being on the show, my man. My it, pleasure, Mike. It's been really great. I've had a lot of fun chatting with you, and uh, uh, let's keep in touch. And I can't wait to uh read the rest of the series i'm 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 literally cannot wait to get the next issue i'm very happy to hear that i appreciate it, my friend talk to you soon another episode in the can another great guest and a cool guy like ron is really cool him and i Got a little nerdy after the show. Told him a bunch of stuff that I'm not allowed to tell you guys. So he knows more than you guys do about what's going on. Uh, and then uh, I got to hear a little bit about what's coming out with the book. I'm I'm really excited about the next issue of Berserker. Uh, and uh, I'm really pumped to know Ron. Because he has done such amazing work over at Marvel. He's done amazing work as an illustrator. Uh, he seems to be a really cool storyteller. He really has his head wrapped around um, how to block sequences and how to tell stories with images. And anybody that does that is 100% in my book, right? Um, so thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And do yourself a favor. When you can, go to a comic book store. Head on inside. If you guys haven't been to a comic book store yet, don't be afraid of them. I know from the outside, you look in, they're kind of nerdy. There might be a bunch of people in there playing Magic, The Gathering on fucking comic book bins, which always drove me nuts. Uh, but you can just go in there. Most of the time, the people that work behind, almost all the time, the people that work behind the register are more than happy to help you find something great. And the best part about a lot of comics these days is that the single issues are all collected into... Uh, graphic novel size books. So if you missed 
a whole run of series. If you don't want to collect individual issues, wait around for the collected issue to come out. Um, and those are fantastic. They're really fun reads. I always have two or three comic books on my nightstand uh, and they help me go to sleep at night. I'll pick them up and I'll read, you know, 10 pages before I fall asleep. I love them. I really do. I think it's one of my favorite mediums for storytelling. And uh, I'm so happy that my job requires that I have to understand how comics work. I have to understand how to tell a story in a frame. I have to understand how to make a character more dynamic by body posturing, by clothing, by all that stuff. I fucking love it. Um, and it isn't just about, I, I know comic books is the hot thing right now. And every streaming service has some comic book series and, and they become serialized and go beyond that. Next time you go into the comic book store, go pick up an incredibly visual issue. Go pick up something like the original run of 300, right? You can find a really great hardcover for that book. Uh, or go pick up uh, Hard Boiled, which is written by Frank Miller and drawn by Jeff Darrows. Pick up one of those issues that doesn't have a lot of word bubbles in it. That the story is just told through the imagery. And I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying that it's fun. It's a different way to see stories. It's a different way to read stories. Um, and as a uh, photographer or as a director, you're going to be inspired. I know I am every time I go. So thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Ron, for being on the show. Uh, I'm very excited about this uh, book. Like I said, go pick yourself up the new issue. Hopefully, issue two will be out soon. Um, and uh, I'm pumped to see what Keanu and his dudes do for the Netflix movie. I really hope it's awesome. Um, but that's it. Thanks for listening. I'm going to let you guys go. And I will see you next Tuesday. Bye.